Good evening. Um, I'm what's known as a designated hitter. <clears throat> uh, Brother Carl was scheduled to preach this evening, but he is ill, so I will do my best <clears throat> to provide you with a lesson that will send you out of here this evening ready to face the world and Satan. The title of this evening's lesson is The Providence of God and is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 32. So you'll need to be turning there. We're going to have the lesson from that passage and I would say we would be there most of the lesson. So you want to be having your finger there or piece of paper so that you can glance at those verses as we go through the lesson. And it reads the following, Matthew 6, 25 through 32. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. <clears throat> the key to this evening's lesson is the meaning of God's providence. We speak of two types of providence. They are natural and supernatural. We make the distinction between the two by implying that we understand the natural through the operation of certain laws. While the supernatural we do not understand because it lies in the realm beyond nature, which is hidden in mystery. However, both are beyond the power of human understanding despite our most updated scientific technology. As Christians who believe in God and as citizens of the universe, we should be convinced that God who created the universe and fashioned mankind in his own image is the Lord of both heaven and earth. To believe in the providence of God is to believe that God, who created the world, continues to govern its affairs and to move in both heaven and earth. For you and I, belief in God is belief in creation itself. We believe from the period of creation, the exodus of Israel from Egypt, and to the cross of Christ, 
that we are witnessing the providential care of God. One of the clearest accounts of God's operation in the affairs of mankind occurs in the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 45. His brothers had sold him into slavery, and Joseph was confident of God's providence. Displaying his assurance to his brothers, Joseph said, And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to save you alive by a great deliverance. So it was not you that sent me here, but God. Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8. The Christian's individual conviction is that God's grace is experienced both in the personal events of one's life and in God's providential rule over all creation. Paul was certain of God's providential care when he said in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It is clear from what Romans 8.28 says that providence is to be distinguished from what people usually call fate. A belief in fate accepts whatever happens as predetermined by the sovereign power of God or the blind forces of nature. This doctrine is called predestination in the theology of Calvinism. Belief in predestination, foreordination, election, and such of those excludes free will and thus human responsibility. We should regard such Calvinistic doctrines as unworthy of mankind and completely reject them out of scriptural grounds. The belief in fatalism is a pagan concept. Miracles are closely interrelated with divine providence. A miracle is not just something which excites wonder. According to Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Their traditional view is that a miracle is an event which breaks into the order of nature on an occasion so stupendous that it may be explained only through the supernatural intervention of God. We believe that the providential crossing of the Red Sea by the people of Israel was a miracle. We cannot explain it, but we believe it. We believe in prayer and God's power to deliver us from sickness and harm in ways beyond nature's ability to provide understanding. We believe God still moves and works wondrously even beyond our ability to understand. We believe in his providential arrangement to reach us in our times of desperation and need. Verse 25 of our text tells us do not worry about your life. This is a difficult passage to accept in our day because it is so little understood, but it ought not to be. Jesus is simply calling for complete confidence in God and trust in his providence. Jesus would have us to believe in God's love for his children and his will to rule providentially for mankind's good 
a life filled with worry and preoccupation with its cares actually profits a person nothing. The needs of the Christian are both human and spiritual, but Jesus places the primary emphasis on the spiritual excellence of life. You may ask, how can a person help from being worried since life offers mankind the two ways of life and death, and each is certain after the other. We know our common ending is death, and we are aware that our tomorrows are filled with precarious understandings and uncertainties. But we are not like the birds of the air or the beasts of the field who live untroubled lives. So what are we to understand by the command? Do not worry. Worrying seems to be almost an instinct in mankind. Surely Jesus is not ruling out concern that we should have for the ill, the poor and homeless, the prisoner and the grieving. Callous disregard for those in need is condemned in the harshest language of the New Testament because such will go away into everlasting punishment, Matthew 25, 46. Jesus never advises against intelligent measures for the prudent ordering of our lives. The responsibility of a Jewish father was to see that his son was circumcised, help find him a wife, and teach him a trade. A rabbinical saying was, a man who doesn't teach his son a trade teaches him robbery. The purpose of Jesus stating, do not worry about your life, is to let us know that our trust and confidence must be placed in the providence of God. Surely God, who has given us a body, as David described it, fearlessly and wonderfully made, will also make provisions for clothing and food for the body. Worry is worse than useless because it saps our spiritual energy and it defeats us by fears that almost never materialize. In verse 26, Jesus says, are you not of more value than they? As he speaks about the birds who have no worry. No bird or animal has an occupation and they are nourished without worry. God fashioned all creation to serve mankind and to meet our needs. If creatures who are created to serve mankind are not anxious, why should we ruin the blessing of our daily bread with needless worry? We should keep in mind that Jesus is emphasizing the constancy of God's providence to provide mankind with his needs and of the unfailing trustworthiness of his love. We are not to think that in times of famine, natural disaster, and plagues that one's complete faith in God will protect us because we all suffer at such times. However, Jesus is speaking of the circumstances of the ups and downs of life in a normal day-to-day -day existence. The person who has bread in their basket and asks, what shall I eat tomorrow, belongs though to those who have little faith. Jesus takes the principle of casting out worry and clarifies the reason through his teaching, look at the birds of the air. Jesus would have us know that birds do not count the length of their days on the calendar. Jesus is not offering a remedy 
but he is offering a cure for the consuming worries of life for our daily existence. There is also the sobering thought that there is no freedom from worry if we use our uh, freedom, our freedom of will to fulfill our own evil desires. We cannot escape suffering and death, but we do have the choice between wisdom and folly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we read, Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Returning to Matthew, verse 27 says, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? The word cubit is translated from a Greek word, which is pekas, P-E-C-H-U-S, which, which means a measure of space. Stature may relate to one's height or a span of time. So what person could add to their height or an extra day to their life by worrying? In either case, the impossibility is obvious. A person cannot change these factors of their life no matter how anxious or fretful they become. With constant and overwhelming worry, a person's judgment is impaired. I'm sure you have seen this in your own life where someone gets so caught up in a, 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 a situation in their life that they almost cannot think of how to drive their car. It, it takes, takes up their, their total mental capacity just to concentrate on the thing that is bothering them the most in their life. It has taken up their, their, uh, their ability to discern the everyday issues that are presented to them on their job. They just can't focus. And so they are worried beyond what is reasonable. They become a menace sometimes to their own selves, a threat to their family, and a nagging annoyance because of their unnatural concern for their earthly needs. Consider the lilies of the field. In verse 28, Jesus goes on to talk about flowers, and he must have loved them. The lilies named in the text are small scarlet or purple flowers. They blossom on the hillsides of Palestine for one brief day and are clothed with such breathtaking beauty that even Solomon in all of his glory could not equal them. The day after, the grass of the field that God has so clothed is cast into the ovens for fuel. Jesus' meaning here is deeper than just the fleeting and momentary days of mankind. The tender flower represents blind faith in the care of God's providence with the sun and rain, day and night, and changing seasons. This same faith is needed in the lives of each one of us. The whole order of the universe is designed to bring the lives of both flower and mankind to fruition. The life of mankind is fragile. It is tied to a mortal thread. The lilies of the field are sustained in their proper course of life and all fulfill their purpose. If mankind will fulfill their purpose and execute their duties, 
while trusting in God, though death eventually comes, God will not fail them. Jesus again addresses worry in verse 31 as essentially a distrust of God. To the Christian who addresses God as their father, surely they should know that consuming worry will destroy the very spiritual marrow of their being. Worry is useless and it may become an evil influence in a person's life. Debilitating illnesses often result directly from constant worry. Yes, mankind will grope their way blindly through a life that lacks true peace and joy in spite of the fact that God gives breathtaking beauty to a flower which lives but a day. Worry ruins the life God has blessed us with and turns mankind away from God. Jesus describes the chronic warrior as you of little faith. So what does the providence of God mean to you? As Christians, the providence of God and our faith go hand in hand. We know God is in control. God loves us. He blesses us, directs us, and strengthens us. No matter what comes our way, we place our trust and our confidence in him. We are sustained through the most difficult and trying times, knowing that he is there and knowing that an eternal home awaits with him. So that is our lesson. At this time, we do offer an invitation and because it is a lesson on worrying and anxiety. If there is an issue in your life tonight, if someone is here that is dealing with a natural worrying and anxiety, we are here to pray with you. We are here to pray for you. Whatever your need is this evening, won't you let us know what that is as together we stand and sing the hymn of invitation. Mm -hmm.